Today is April 14th, 2022. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan. We're fresh off a great weekend of boxing, and we are moving closer to another loaded weekend in boxing. Here's the return of Earl Spence Jr. this weekend, returning against your Dennis Ugas in an awesome unification welterweight championship title fight. Only the 12th time in the history of the sport that the unification match will take place in the welterweight division. Two guys that are matched up tough, but before I get into that, I want to just look back at last weekend. There was a ton of stuff to get into. Let's start it off with the first fight of the evening, actually the morning, if you're on the East Coast in the United States. It was early morning. Triple G returned against Ryota Murata in Japan in another unification match. That was in the in the middleweight division. Um, it took Triple G a little bit to get going. It looked really washed early on, as I tweeted. I said he looked uh, a little bit washed up. It seems to be that it was more so ring rust than anything. Guy has been out of the ring longer than he had ever been in his professional career. He is also 40 years of age. I believe it was a combination of the two things that led to Triple G looking little lackluster early getting hit with some big shots, and the way he was reacting to the shots was even more concerning than the fact that he was getting hit with them. He, he was noticeably uncomfortable, um, looked like he was really hurt, looked like he didn't want to be in there early. That's just body language. That's just me going by what I saw. But that's how I looked at it early on. First three rounds were really tough for G, and he picked it up in the middle rounds and definitely turned it up in the second half of the fight, getting the stoppage in the ninth round. Triple G looked vintage in the later rounds. Non-stop aggression coming forward, using that jab, but also using those looping right hands, and even a left hook was in there. It was way too much for Murata to handle. I kind of figured in the middle rounds that somebody was getting stopped because, like I said, Triple G was taking big shots early, but Murata was kind of just playing into Triple G's hand and standing there and trading with him. And that is not something I would advise against Triple G. Whether he's 40 years of age or not, that power is still there. Um, is he going to look that way against Canelo? That is a totally different question. Canelo is in his prime. Canelo is at the best that he's probably ever looked right now. And the thing with Canelo is he moves his head, something Murata was simply not doing. But we'll see. That looks like that's what's going to take place in September. Canelo has Bival in May. In the meantime, so we'll see how that fight plays out. But as of now, on paper, it's going to be Triple G and Canelo for a third time. Triple G does look like he lost a step, but still will beat a lot of top guys in the middleweight division. When he moves up to 168, that is something we don't know. We've never seen him at that weight. And I'll definitely look to analyze that fight as we get closer. As for now, uh, Ryan Garcia returned. I did not watch that fight in full. I watched highlights. I also heard people that did watch the fight. The consensus seemed to say that it was a lackluster performance. Um, a dominating performance, but just didn't get the finish. Didn't go for the kill like he may have been able to against an opponent who clearly didn't belong in there with him. Did get a drop. Um, did knock down his opponent early. But... I don't know if it was ring rust or what. I'll have to go back and watch the footage on that. I can't give you a complete analysis because I wouldn't be genuine because I did not watch the fight. I was, however, watching an incredible card on Showtime. I tried to tell people. Some people 
almost pushed back a little bit when I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to be watching the Showtime card. A lot of my friends, casual fans, watched the Ryan Garcia fight. And I'm sure they couldn't really understand, oh, you're watching this Fundora versus Lubin card, huh? Yeah, because to me, that was the better fight. And clearly, it played out as, in my opinion, the best fight so far this year. As far as the action that took place in the ring between Erickson Lubin and Sebastian Fundora. A complete war. If you haven't seen it, I would advise you to go back and watch it. Any boxing fan out there will tell you that was a great fight. Two guys really giving it their all, going toe-to-toe. And Lubin, I got to give him credit. I had concerns about his chin going in. Yes, he did get dropped early. Yes, he eventually did get stopped. But it wasn't without tremendous effort, tremendous heart. The guy fought nonstop until it was stopped for him. His His corner had to throw in the towel to look out for him. If you look at pictures of Lubin's face before and after, you would agree that his trainer made the correct decision. Lubin's face was disfigured. He was taking an insane amount of punishment, something that nobody deserves to go through. Warrior or not, he is not going to leave that fight the same as when he exited. On the other hand, Sebastian Fandora, the towering inferno, his stock continues to rise. Six foot five, six foot six area at 154 pounds. He's every man's nightmare as far as I'm concerned. If you're in the 154-pound division and you have to get through Fundora, I believe that's going to be a tall task, no pun intended. This guy is amazing. I mean, I don't know what more he needs to show us. He's really defied all the odds because you see a guy of that stature and you say, okay, he's going to try and fight you from the outside. Well, that's not the case because he loves to fight on the inside. All of his opponents have seemed to think because of his skinny frame and his height, that you have to get inside. They're like, oh, let's get inside. Let's hit the body. Let's let's weaken the guy. He's going to fall. He's going to drop. He did go down in this fight, but it still wasn't enough. It still wasn't enough because this guy is built for the trenches. He likes to fight at close range. He likes to have that leverage on his uppercuts that he gets with his huge reach advantage from the inside. He doesn't have to wind up too far because his arms are long enough where he just simply cocks back comes forward with an uppercut, and it's a devastating shot. It's one of the most devastating punches in that division. Erickson Lubin, it seemed, had success early, but when he decided to stand and trade with Fundora, it was the worst decision he could have made. For us as the fans, it was incredible entertainment. It was awesome to watch. As a strategy to win, I did not see that being the winning strategy at all. I don't see that being the blueprint to beat him. I think you need more movement to beat this guy. You have to kind of stay on the outside, which is crazy because of his his reach advantage and his height. You would think that that wouldn't work, but I believe that is the best path to victory. A guy on the undercard like Tony Harrison, I think he, out of all the other super welterweights, may have the best chance, the best style to beat Fundora because he's not going to stand there and trade with you. He is going to move. He is going to give you lateral movement. He is going to check you with the jab. He is going to keep the jab in your face at all times, even while he's moving. He's going to be very frustrating. He's going to talk trash. It's just a great stylistic matchup, in my opinion, for Fundora. Lubin tried to just stand there and bang with him. That was not the winning strategy. Fundora is built for this. He loves to fight on the inside. I'm sure all his sparring partners were trying the same strategy to get him ready. Come forward, apply pressure, and... Deal with Fundora's power because Fundora not only has the power, but he has 
the volume, and it really works for him in this division. This is one of the this is probably my favorite division in the entire sport because of the matchups that we get, the incredible fights that this uh, weight class produces, and the fact that these guys are all fighting each other. Nobody's ducking, nobody's dodging, nobody's playing a side. This everyone is getting in the mix. Everyone is fighting each other. We've seen it a few weeks ago with Terrell Goucher and Tim Zhu. We just saw it with Sergio Garcia and Tony Harrison on the other card. We saw it with Lubin and Fedora. We're going to see it again in a few weeks with Castaño and Charlo too. It's just so many different styles and they're all vulnerable. That's another thing that really stands out. They're all vulnerable. They can all be beat. Nobody's really um, irresistible for lack of another term. Nobody's really impossible to beat. Everyone has been beat and everyone can be beat except for Fondor. He hasn't been beat yet, but there is a way to beat him. Like I said, I believe it's the lateral movement and a more defensive style, a more um, complex style. Don't just come straight for this guy because that's what he wants to do. He prefers to stand and trade. But let's move on to this week. This week, it's return of the big fish, Earl Spence Jr., the king of the welterweight division, in my opinion, because of his consistency because he has multiple belts, and because he's a guy that doesn't believe in a tune-up, he is just ready for whatever. It doesn't matter. Car crash? Okay, I'll just fight Danny Garcia. Retinal surgery? Okay, yeah, I'll just fight your Dennis Ugas for a unified championship. He's on record saying he believes tune-ups are for guys that are unsure of themselves. On the other hand, you've got your Dennis Ugas. Great story. If you're not familiar with his story, look at All Access on Showtime. It really fills you in and explains how Ugas is a man who tried to defect from his country of Cuba to escape some of the tragedies that are going on over there. And it took him six times, six or seven times, to escape his country and make it to the United States. He got captured multiple times and finally uh, successfully made it. A lot of people would quit in that situation. Me personally, I don't know what I would do in a situation like that. You keep trying to leave your country, you keep getting captured and brought back. A really amazing story for him. Shows his heart. Shows his determination. That's outside the ring. Inside the ring, same thing. Guy started, I believe, 15-3. and three. He got a couple bad decisions in that uh, time. Took two years away from the sport. Came back and really went on a tear. Beat guys like Ray Robinson. Not Sugar Ray Robinson. But beat Ray Robinson. Beat guys like Thomas DeLorme. In my opinion, he beat Sean Porter. Officially, it was a split decision. But I saw him beat Sean Porter. I saw him land the cleaner punches. I also saw him drop Sean Porter and the referee not call it a drop. The guy has gotten some tough breaks in his career and in life. But it seems like things are finally looking up for him. A year ago, Earl Spence was set to face Manny Pacquiao. During the pre-fight checkup, about a week or two weeks before the fight, Earl Spence was notified that he had a tear in his retina that required surgery. He got a second opinion, even maybe a third opinion, I believe. He got a third opinion. All three doctors agreed that you need surgery. If you fight Manny Pacquiao, you could potentially go blind. Manny Pacquiao was still eager to fight, still wanted to fight. He was in the midst of running for president, so he wanted to get a fight under his belt in that time frame. Jordanis Ugas was scheduled to be on the undercard. Ugas decides to step up. Face Manny Pacquiao, couple weeks notice, fills in for Spence, gets the victory, and here we are, unification fight. Ugas and Pacquiao had a really fun fight, really good fight. I thought it was very competitive. I personally, from home on my couch, scored it a draw. Some people may think that's insane, 
let me explain my reasoning real quick. There were three rounds, to me, that were extremely close. The sixth round, the ninth round, and the eleventh. In those three rounds, I gave to Manny Pacquiao. Why? Because they were razor thin, and I said, let me favor the legend here, because I figured the judges would do the same. Very close, can't call it. Uh, I'm going to go with Manny Pacquiao. The money's with Manny Pacquiao. The prestige is with Manny Pacquiao. Sixth round. All three gave it to Ugas. I gave it to Pacquiao, but real quick, let me just say this. Ugas landed 10 punches in that round. Pacquiao landed 8. Pacquiao also threw double the amount of punches that Ugas did. So he was a more active guy, only landed a couple less punches. And to the naked eye, it was very close. I gave it to Pac. All three disagreed. Gave it to Ugas. That's fine. No problem with that. Ninth round. I gave it a pack. Two out of the three judges also gave it a Pacquiao. Eleventh round. Two out of the three judges gave it to Ugas. I gave it a Pacquiao. So in most of the other rounds, two out of the three or all three agreed with me. Very close fight. Ugas got the victory as he deserved to. No, no problem there. Like I said, very close fight. Could have went either way. But that's what I had. Ugas finally got the break to go his way. The Porter fight didn't go his way. Uh, a fight earlier in his career didn't go his way. The fight that was close against a legend went his way, and now he's here with a tremendous opportunity to really cement his legacy. People can discredit the win all they want, saying Pacquiao was old, this and that. Hey, that's fine. I'm not here to argue with you. Pacquiao is definitely not the same fighter he was 10 years ago, but Manny Pacquiao, even at 40 years of age, was better than most of the welterweights in the welterweight division. Had faster hands than pretty much every welterweight currently in the division, even now. Still had decent enough legs to be competitive for 12 rounds at a championship level. So I'm not going to discredit Ugas at all for beating an older Pacquiao. He fought him on short notice. He got the job done. Earl Spence was supposed to be in that same position. I don't think we would have been discrediting Earl Spence if he did the same thing and got the victory. So we got to give Ugas credit. He's been matched up tough, and I think he's very underrated. I think... When you look at Ugas, you don't see all the little things, all the subtleties in his game. And I think people are really going to see that Saturday night on the big stage against Earl Spence. I'm not saying he's going to beat Earl Spence by any means. I'm a big Earl Spence fan. I think Earl Spence is going to find a way to get the victory. But Ugas is going to make it very competitive, very tough in there for Earl, depending on what kind of style he's using. Earl Spence is known for throwing high volume. He reminds me of Chocolatito, just a bigger version. Throws tons of punches. Throws a lot of power punches, has a great jab, and does tremendous, tremendous work to the body. Earl Spence throws 71 punches per round. Guy is going to come there, and one thing he's going to do is let his hands go. That's for sure. That's something that we know Earl Spence is going to bring to the table. thing with Ugas is he's a little bit less active as far as uh, punches per round and stuff like that, but very subtle with his defense, and he does great work on the inside. He prefers to fight on the inside. Spence is great on the inside. I think Spence's best path to victory may be similar to the way he fought Mikey Garcia. With Mikey Garcia, he made a conscious effort to use his jab and to be on his back foot. Why is that? Because the story going into it was Mikey's the smaller guy, but Mikey's the more skilled guy. Earl's only way to win is going to be by knockout because he's the bigger guy. Well, he said, you know what? Yeah, I'm the bigger guy. I'm the stronger guy, but I don't need to knock Mikey out. Whether you believe him or not, that's what he said. And that's what he did in my eyes. He made a conscious effort 
to sit there and box with with Mikey and really just beat him at his own game and show that there's levels to this. Yeah, I could probably knock you out if I press the action, but I'm not even going to do that. I don't want there to be an excuse. I want people to say, I outskilled you, I outclassed you, and that's what Spence did. Behind the jab, stick, move back, pop the jab again, come in with body shots. I believe that's the way to beat Spence. Uh, excuse me. That's the way Spence can beat Ugas. If he stands and trades with Ugas in the middle of the ring at close range, I think it would be much closer than it should be. Because Ugas covers up very well. He's that slick Cuban style. Great amateur pedigree. He is a southpaw killer as well. I believe he's 6-1 career versus southpaws. Three knockouts. He just retired Manny Pacquiao, who's a southpaw. He landed 60% of his power punches against Manny Pacquiao. And he held Pacquiao to just 16% landed. 16%. That's tremendous defense by Ugas, and I really think it's going to be a close, really close fight. Total punches landed per round for the welterweight division. I'm just going to run through this. Shout out to Dan Canobio, CompuBox, with these numbers. Earl Spence is the leader in the division. 21.4 punches per round landed. Second is already a big gap. First is 21. Second, 18.6, Jamal James. Third, Keith Thurman, 17.7. Fourth is Yudenis Ugas, 17.6. Just to get an idea, the welterweight average is 16.7. Excuse me, 16.6. So both guys are above the welterweight average. Ugas is slightly above the average, but Spence is the clear leader in the pack. 21.4 punches landed per round. So you're going to get good volume in this fight, but I think it's going to be very tactical. High-speed chess, if you will. I don't see either fighter getting dropped, but you never know. Ugas did say he's going for the, I mean, Spence did say he's going for the knockout. Spence hasn't had a knockout in a long time. Spence's last three fights all went the distance against Danny Garcia, Sean Porter, and Mikey Garcia. So is the power dipping a little bit? Is the weight bothering him a little bit? This is a big guy. This is a guy who usually walked around around 180. He recently said, hey, I got a nutritionist now. I've been in shape all year round. And he certainly looks it, certainly looks in the best shape of his life. But he is a guy in his mid-30s. He is, excuse me, 32 years old. Not his mid-30s, but he's in his 30s. He has been at that weight since, I believe, 2010. He was fighting at that weight as an amateur. So anyone listening to this podcast who's around the age of 30 or older, you know your metabolism starts to slow down. I have a great metabolism. I've been skinny my whole life. Even I notice, okay, this weight isn't coming off. Um, as it used to, as easily as it used to. Eat certain things <clears throat> one week, the next week you got to kind of watch where you eat a little bit. Earl Spence, naturally bigger guy. Could that weight be affecting him to where his power isn't producing the knockouts or even dropping guys like it used to? In those last three fights, the only guy he's dropped is Sean Porter. That's just something to think about. Is he going for the stoppage? He says he is, we don't know. I think that would play into Ugas' hand a little bit, but we'll see. I think either way, we're going to be having a really competitive, fun fight. Both guys usually um, produce entertaining fights. I don't think anyone's saying that Spence is a boring fighter, and Ugas, if you haven't seen Ugas fight, you're missing out because this guy is one of the top welterweights in the world, and he definitely deserves to be in this position. I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. But I'm picking Earl Spence in a split decision 
or a close unanimous decision. How can you have a close unanimous decision? Seven rounds to five is competitive, but if all three judges have it that way, that is unanimous. Another thing we have to question, we question the, is the weight a problem for Spence? The eye, that's the biggest concern for me. The eye, is it 100%? Guys have poker faces, guys are trying to sell a pay-per-view here, guys are trying to have the most confidence they possibly can going into a fight. He's going to say, of course, my eye feels great, my eye, feel, my eye feels fine, but we truly don't know. How is it going to react in the middle of a fight? Sixth round, seventh round, eighth round, when it's getting hit by a guy of the caliber of Udenis Ugas. Your sparring partner isn't targeting your eye. You can spar as much as you want. There's not a guy going in there saying, let me hurt this guy's eye. Ugas is going to be thinking that when you're fighting for the unified welterweight championship of the world. How is Spence's body going to react? How is his mind going to react? This is a family man. This is a guy who's had his daughters around his camp. He likes to train with his family, likes to be with his family 24-7. Is he going to have those thoughts in his head? Yes, Earl Spence is a dog, but like I said, he's also a father first. Maybe he thinks, hey, you know, my eyes really bother me right now. I have a career to think about. I have a life to think about. You know what? Let me get out of this fight. Let me end this fight. Let me take a knee. Or who knows? I mean, I'm not saying Earl Spence is the type of guy to quit. I'm just saying we don't know what that condition of that eye is. We've seen in the history many guys lie about their health just to further their career or to sell the current fight that's on the table. Read about Joe Frazier. This guy went his whole career before people learned that he was fighting with one eye, one good eye. He was blind in one eye. That's very dangerous. Is Earl Spence about to risk something like that? I mean, I'm sure with the testing and the things people go through these days in 2022, he's obviously going through much more vigorous exams. I don't think he can just lie and fake it, you know, slide a guy a couple bucks and say, hey, you know, I'm Earl Spence, I, I got a big fight coming up, let it slide. I don't know if that's possible in this day and age. I'm just saying, we don't know how good that eye is. We're going to find out, I think, very early in this fight. If Earl Spence is who he says he is, if Earl Spence is the same guy we saw get into a car accident, come back and beat Danny Garcia, like Danny Garcia wasn't Danny Garcia, then I think he'll be fine. But that's just one of the questions I have. The eye's a big problem. Sugar Ray Leonard lost many years of his career because of an eye injury. Abner Mares, guy who does commentary for Showtime, he thought he was going to come back. He was actually in talks of a tank fight a few years back, and the doctor said, hey, listen, no, your eye is bad. And now this guy's a lazy eye, wears sunglasses everywhere he goes. His eye is not the same. Vision is arguably the most important part of the sport of boxing. You can't see the punches coming. You can't defend yourself. You're done. So that's something to look for. Another thing on Ugas' side is his tricep. We, we saw, I mean, his bicep. We saw the pictures leading up to the Pacquiao fight. One looked very enlarged. He actually did admit after the fight that he did have an injury. I believe he got surgery. I'm not 100% on that. You'll have to fact check me on that one. I don't know if Ugas got surgery on the biceps, but... There was an injury. How's that looking? How's that going to be? But at the end of the day, both guys are going to get in the ring. They're going to fight. So 
these excuses that I'm bringing up now, I don't think will be valid because you're telling us you're fine, both guys. You're going into the fight. You're going on with the fight. It's not getting pushed back. So whatever happens on April 16th in Dallas at AT&T Stadium is going to be what we remember these fighters by. Who's going to come out with all three belts? Three out of the four belts. The other guy, we all know his name, Terrence Crawford. He's the last man standing with a belt outside of these two. Hopefully, Earl Spence gets the victory, moves on to Terrence Crawford by the end of the year because that's the fight that the boxing world wants to see. That is the most anticipated fight for me personally. Let me know what you guys think. What is your most anticipated fight of the year or potential fight that can be made? To me, Spence Crawford is the cream of the crop, and that's what we really need. Hopefully we get that, but tune in on Showtime Pay-Per-View this Saturday, April 16th in Dallas. I believe the card starts at 9 p.m., but before that, on Showtime, regular Showtime, this is a rare occasion where the pre-pay-per-view card is better than the pay-per-view undercard. I'm not sure why they did this, but I'm glad to watch it because we get to see Brandon Lee, one of the best 140-pounders in my opinion, really rising up the ranks. Young guy, 22 years old, 24-0 with 22 knockouts. He's going to be on the first fight on Showtime at 7 p.m., taking on Zachary Ochoa. Zachary Okoa, excuse me if I butchered that last name, Okoa Ochoa, I don't know the guy's name, but Brandon Lee's going to make him a victim, he's going to victimize this guy, knock him out in sensational fashion, I'm calling it now, bet on it, Brandon Lee gets a sensational knockout over Zachary, whatever his last name is, guys 22 and 1, 21 and 2, excuse me, guys 21 and 2, only gets 7 knockouts, he looks like food in my opinion, Brandon Lee's going to take his head off, that's my prediction. Three rounds or less. I'm calling it. On the main event of the Showtime regular card. It's only a two-fight card, I believe. Short and sweet. This one could be fight of the night. Radzab Butayev, the Russian. 14-0, 11-0. This guy is all action. If you haven't seen this guy, you're in for a treat. All action. High volume. Coming straight forward. Not the best defensive fighter, but he's coming to take your head off. And he's matched up very, very tough. Imantes Steonis, the guy from Lithuania, 13-0, 19 knockouts. He's a tough guy. He's a power puncher himself. This is a 50-50 fight. I do not see it going the distance. Two guys looking to seek and destroy, both with power. This should be lights out. Fireworks type fight. My my pick for fight of the night. Utiev versus Steonis. This is a mouth-watering matchup. I'm surprised this isn't on the pay-per-view, but who cares? We're still going to see it. It's still going to be loads of fun. On to the pay-per-view card itself, starting at 9 p.m. Cody Crowley, 20-0, going against Josecito Lopez. That should be another all-action fight. Lopez, the veteran, who's always in fun fights, matched up with Crowley. Crowley's a younger guy on the rise, trying to get him a nice name in Lopez. Welterweight division is so stacked. This should be a fun one. Next up, you've got Jose Valenzuela taking on Francisco Vargas, Bandito. That's a good fight at lightweight. I think Bandito could pull this one off. Valenzuela's 11-0, kind of untested. Bandito's been in a lot of wars, but I think his pedigree, his experience will get him the victory. And then the co-main is Isak Cruz, the pit bull. His last fight was against Tank Davis in a really, really fun one. He took Tank Davis to the limit. Davis was fighting in one hand. 
with one hand. Uh, towards the end of that fight, Davis brought out his back foot game as expected because Isak Cruz lives up to his nickname. He's a pit bull. He just comes forward all night, nonstop pressure, kind of like a mini Sean Porter. He should be in some fun action with Eurekas Gamboa. Gamboa at this point, a little washy, a little old. It's kind of just a name, kind of just food really for Isak Cruz, the pit bull. So I expect the pit bull to dominate and kind of run over Gamboa. But uh, yeah, I think I think he's going to run over Gamboa. Gamboa is still tough. Gamboa fought through an Achilles tear, which is remarkable against Tank Davis. That's insane that he even did that. But I just think he's been in too many wars. He's getting up there in age. And Pitbull Cruz is a very hungry, no pun intended, guy coming off the loss to Tank. He has something to prove. He's in a big stage, co-main for Spence. And then, uh, of course, after that, you have the main event, which I already covered. Spence versus Ugas should be a great night of boxing. Probably the best top-to-bottom card of the year so far because it's starting early at 7, and then we're going all the way up to the main event. AT&T Stadium's in for a hell of a card. Great boxing. Should be a fun night. I hope you guys all tune in. This is all on Showtime. Starting on regular Showtime, and then moving on to the pay-per-view. But that's all I have for you this week. Enjoy the fights. Next week, we're just going to keep moving forward. These fights are just coming week after week for the next nine weeks. Fury versus Dillian White heavyweights. That's next week. I'm going to break that all down as well. Be on the lookout for that. In the meantime, give me that five-star review. Thank you guys for the support. Continue to listen as the weather's heating up. The boxing schedule is heating up right along with it. Thanks for listening. I'm out.